Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Paulette Perhatch. Paulette is an author and writing coach with work in the New York Times, Al. Vice, Marie Claire, Yoga Journal, and McSweeney's Internet Tendency. Her book is Welcome to the Writer's Life, which was selected as one of Poets and Writers' Best Books for Writers. She continues to write about writing craft, business skills, personal finance, and joy at welcometothewriterslife.com. Welcome, Paulette. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm really eager to dig into your work and your book and to talk about how you decided to write your your book that, that is considered one of the best by poets and writers. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, I'm excited to talk about it too. So what made you realize that this book needed to be written, Welcome to the Writer's Life? Well, you know, it's really a funny thing to say, I'm going to write about writing and talk about, you know, I think we all feel like, why would anyone care what I have to say? And everything's been said before. It's like, oh my gosh, how much has been said about, you know, writing by writers? Mm -hmm. So many things. So talk about Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome. (laughs) But I felt like I hadn't read a writing book that felt like it existed in the real world, Uh, a writing book that felt like a conversation at a bar late at night with writers. And that was kind of what I was going for. And I think it was based off the fact that I was, for the first time in my life, living around a bunch of writers. And I got to have those late night bar conversations. And they said, no, 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 listen, here's how it, here's how it really goes, right? And, you know, you see people's bios that they, you know, that they have online, then the way that they look in person is so different. Mm. What was some of the stuff like were were people were you listening to these writers talk and having these conversations about the writing life and realizing, oh, my gosh, people keep asking about this. There's so many people don't know this. And and that's why you wanted to get it down. Or did it have a lot to do with what had confounded you in the beginning? Well, number one, the thing that I saw was that people over and over still have so much doubt. The professional writers still were so plagued with so much doubt. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so funny, the way that I thought that these people would be versus the way Mm. that they actually are. So you're talking about like the bigger names or the people who seem to have gotten it, like who who have really figured it out are still struggling with these ideas? Yeah, people who have multiple books out and who seemed like they were totally had it together. And at that point, you would have thought like, oh, and then, you know, once you reach that level, your doubt will leave you. (laughs) <laughs> and I totally found that they didn't or that, you know, that their doubt did not leave them. And so you're also, I think because you're a coach as well, I feel like you really put a lot of work into making writers feel empowered to write, but also that there's a way to make money and to live sustainably as a writer. Yeah, I think that's really important that, you know, writers bring a lot of value to society. And the more that I get entrenched in business – The more that I see, you know, the role that writing and communication really has in the world. And it doesn't have to be a terrible thing. You know, some people manipulate words and story to create emotions that are overall negative for the world, but positive just for them personally, right? And it certainly doesn't have to be that way. So language and storytelling is a powerful weapon that people 
wield in different ways. And so, you know, I think it's really important that we understand that, that it is something that has real value. Um, one of my clients is was the first female cast member on Million Dollar Listing New York. And so I've been mm-hmm. watching that show a bit more and just seeing how much story has to do with them selling these $6 million, mm-hmm. you know, $10 million apartments. So, you know, it's just, it's really fun to see that and to gain confidence and to be like, no, story is important and valuable. And mm-hmm. I am going to be a an expert practitioner of storytelling and I'm going to charge good money for that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, do you feel that writers undervalue their work? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I wrote this year a an article for Vox about all the reasons people might undercharge. And, oh, my gosh, there were it was just like practically a listicle of all the reasons people might undercharge. And I think we've just been sold this story that if you're a writer, you're never going to make any money. And it might be that if you're a writer, you're never going to make any money from the literary writing that you do or from your poems. And that can... I think we can create lives in which that's okay, where we say, hey, I'm going to do this work because this is what is emanating from my soul. And Mm -hmm. whether or not anyone pays me for this one day, I'm going to make this. And the way that I'm going to make sure that's okay is by making as much money as possible in my other kind of writing work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I do think writing is sort of a charged topic, but the idea of artists and writers and, and what we bring to the world. And I think you're really touching on something important because imposter syndrome, or at least talking about it, seems to be really, really in the ether right now. And so maybe we've always had this issue of imposter syndrome, but I feel that I read about it a lot in social media posts and people writing articles. It's so prevalent. And so I, th- I think it's especially hard for writers to realize that they have something to say and that what they have to contribute is valuable. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the imposter syndrome thing is just so true with everyone. And I think that's part of what helps in community when you when you start to socialize with other writers or even, you know, just listen to their podcasts or follow, you know, join online communities, you just see it repeated over and over. And you're just like, oh, okay, well, like, what a waste that we're all sitting around going, well, me, (laughs) should I talk? Should I, you know, it's like, just step up to the mic, you know? And if if you've been dedicating yourself to this practice and if you love it and if, if other writers have brought something to you, there's nothing that is stopping you from bringing value to other people and giving other people beautiful experiences. Mm. Yes, and you know, you just made me think about um, this idea of business because I think some writers might feel like they are artists and creators and not think of themselves as running a business or that they have a business or that it should that would take the the fun and the art and the spirit out of their writing. But I feel like you're using terms in this conversation even that I hear sometimes in like coaching programs or in how to like increase your productivity you know, uh, seminars and things like that. And, but I think that what the feeling I'm getting is that it's not separate, that they can be merged. Yeah. I mean, it's probably because I run coaching programs, but I also like have a, you know, a healthy kind of disdain for a lot of the language around it. You know, I don't know if this was being in Peace Corps or what, but I just love to think about, you know, ye olden days when it's like there was no separation from, your life and your business. And I just like to think of things in a more Mm. integrated way, you know, in a way that's like, aren't we floating in outer space on a lava rock? 
you know? Um, and it's like the way that people get along in the world can be exactly the way that, you know, they exactly the thing they were put on the earth to do, you know? So for me, like your productivity or, you know, your value in the world, they can be connected to your art, but it's like, I don't, I get up in the morning and I've been getting up at five in the morning to work on my novel. And, you know, I don't, I say, I'm going to get up at five. I'm going to make coffee. I'm going to sit down for an hour and like whatever happens, happens, you know, and I'm going to do my best for that hour and then I'm going to let it go. And that is me time. Mm-hmm. Then I do my morning pages. I lead uh, my meditation and free writing session called Very Important Meeting. I work out. We've mm-hmm. we've all made zero dollars per hour thus far. <laughs> and then you know, well, I make a little for a very important meeting, but it's, mm-hmm. it's half nonprofit. And then I dive into okay, now it's productivity time. Now it's bust out the bank account and the QuickBooks and check and make sure we have cash flow and do some lead generation. You know. But, you yeah. know, it's still it's still all good. And sometimes that paying work can be super fun. And it can be, you know, $1,000 for a piece in Vox where I'm writing about my personal history. And so it is a little, you know, it is almost like a, a memoir essay and getting paid really well. And I have this matrix of writing work uh, that I just call Paulette's Matrix of Writing Work. And the two <laughs> axes are the pay and the appeal. And each one has three squares. So, you know, is it pay, low, medium, high, appeal, low, medium, high? And when you're first starting out, chances are you're doing low paying for low appeal kind of work, but you move up and then hopefully as you push yourself to become a more skilled practitioner of this art, you are getting more money for the work that you love to do more and more. Right. Yeah, it's really an organized way of thinking about it. It's very logical. And I think I think it, it makes me feel like spending more time a little more mindfully on what it is I'm trying to create. I set goals for myself. I write lists. I'm a big list maker and sort of a deadline mm-hmm. person. But mm-hmm. this is another step that I could embrace to help me feel a little more like kinetic and active and that I'm on some kind of path. Yeah, that can be – and, you know, that can be really hard I think – it's like, do you focus more on the end goal or on the daily habits that will get you to the end goal? And I think that there's a balance there. I wanted to finish the first draft of my book last year. And mm-hmm. and I got 66,000 words in. And, you know, and I wasn't like, oh, I'm so mad I didn't finish it. I was like, well, you know what? I did pretty dang good. So I think mm-hmm. the goals can be good, but not to cling to those, especially with your art work, because mm-hmm. it, it does not run on your schedule. Yeah, and especially, you know, it's funny. I have these little lists that I – I have some things that I post on the window in front of my desk. I pulled down these two that I'd printed out about when I was going to have such and such article done, when I was going to have my book proposal done. And I, I had, like, listed months and deadlines that really I had passed by two or three months. And I just kind of wrote ha-ha on them and pulled them down. I was like, what was I thinking? Like, what was I thinking? I mean, it was nice. Oh, it was a God. nice wish. But I didn't, I didn't really punish myself for it I realized there was a lot of other stuff going on I wasn't as you know quick as I thought I'd be it's all okay because I'm I'm moving toward sort of a goal and it's momentum and it's also all incubating as well you know yeah it's such an interesting balance of like like grace and accountability and I think if there was ever a year that I learned to be 
nice to myself and take it easy on myself. It was 2020. And so now I'm just kind of in this, this middle state where it's like, all right, we're going to like push for the goals because I think the ultimate goal is to enjoy your life. That's what it is for me. And so if I'm like doing the self-flagellating, like got to do, you know, not good enough. Like I just, that's not an enjoyable life to me, you know, but I do want to get my freaking novel done. Mm hmm. Right. And and I do want to talk about um, the, the fuck off fund. I want to talk about this because this was giant and it kind of went. Vi- Did it go viral? Like officially oh. viral? Yeah. I mean, like gigantic. Yeah. L called it super viral. Can you talk about this? I know you probably discussed this on other outlets, but for people who are listening who may have not gotten a super viral piece ever published. And I know for myself, like, I don't know that I ever will. Can you talk a little bit about that? We have some time. Yeah, so in the end of 2015, I was feeling like, oh, my writing life is like so stagnant right now. So I had a friend do an accountability measure with me, which I'm all about the accountability measures. And so we, once a month, we're going to trade essays. And the calendar invite said, are you even a writer in all caps? Because we were like, am I even a writer anymore? And we're like, yes, of course, like just write. So I wrote a piece that is an imagining of a young girl, which was not very hard to imagine because it was me, um, who went through situations in which her boss became abusive and then her boyfriend became abusive. And in the first instance, she has no money in the bank to, and realizes like how much her limited finances are limiting her in her, her ability to get away from these situations or kind of just make it a lot easier to stay and deal with it. And then in a second imagining, she has something called a fuck off fund and she tells them to fuck off very gratifyingly. So I wrote that and I was working half time at that point in my life and being a writer half time. And uh, I was in my cubicle and some people started to tweet about it. And then at like 10 a.m. Jezebel wrote a story about my story. And I like wheeled Mm. my little computer chair over to my friend's cubicle. And I was like, something is happening. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And it really went bonkers. I mean, like the peak of it was uh, Condé Nast did a thing about it in Glamour. And then at the Cannes Film Festival, they had all these billboards that said, like, in the future this, in the future that. And it said, like, in the future, every woman will have a fuck-off fund. Um, Wow. And I happened to be at uh, the Pacific MFA. um, Yeah. And... Was and someone sent it to me and said, Please tell me they got your permission for this. And I was like, <laughs> No. And I was so freaking broke. And I saw Ellen Bass and I started crying to Ellen Bass about it. I was like, My, my ideas are like traveling around the world. And I am like sitting here literally like I can't go out to dinner. So that was like such a good lesson in the fact that like just because your work goes bonkers does not mean that your finances go bonkers and that you need to like take control and monetize your own your own stuff because I mean more than a million people have read that piece mm-hmm. and yeah um, so what did you do yeah. I mean I, I'm so first of all I'm so I'm so sorry to hear that because I I feel such compassion for what you were going through at that time when when you saw the success and that you just didn't even have enough money to do what you needed to do on a daily basis. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was like there's social capital and then there's capital capital. And your social yeah. capital as a writer, you know, I don't think I'll ever have higher social capital than I did that year. I got to feel very fancy for a little while there and it was great. Um, 
but yeah. And then you're like, I have, you know, I remember, you know, I got to meet all these leaders in personal finance and I was about to sit down for a brunch with, you know, Aaron Lowry, who just broke millennial and Kristen Wong, who wrote get money. And I checked my bank account and I literally had negative $200 in my bank account. And I'm like, this Uh. is hilarious in the worst way. Like, I don't want my life to be this funny. So yeah, but I learned so much from all those women. And, you know, I think, and I, and I certainly still have the gaze of the, you know, the purest writer over my shoulder who was like, if you didn't, you know, if you really were a writer, you wouldn't have to do coaching or edit or, you know, ghostwrite for other people. And then it's like, oh my gosh, this country, like, you know, um, I wrote a piece in McSweeney's called My Personal Brand is I Don't Want to Die about how like <laughs> if you don't have money, this country will leave you for dead like and and move on to Kim Kardashian's next boyfriend mm-hmm. without missing a beat. And so like we have to be financially safe. And that is really something that is has kind of become a big part of my career is helping writers be financially safe and learn Um, you know, through my powerhouse coaching program, it's really about like, what are the things that empower you to, to increase your earning potential, right? And it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be this like meek thing. And I I love that transformation that I've gone through since Fuck Off Fund and, and meeting all these entrepreneurial women. I went on a retreat with 13 of them. And I just remember being like, I have never heard women talk about money like this. And I have never Mm. heard writers talk about money like this. My impression of Aaron Lowry is like one, the back of one hand slapping the other and saying, what's the value add? (laughs) You know, and I'm just like, oh my God. Right. And the thing is, you're not, you haven't turned off the creative part of you. It's important to remember, like when you, when you're harnessing your capital potential and you're making lists and figuring out how you're going to live and you're accountable it does not mean that your artistic soul dies no and what can be so fun is that the business aspect and the marketing aspect can be as creative as writing I mean I don't think it's like as deep of soul work um, to me as my writing is but it is you know it can be a fun creative thing that's why I love running my own company where it's like okay, I don't want to be super cheesy with this. So like, how can we actually make it like valuable and fun and funny Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. make it something that people want to be a part of rather than like, click here now for blah, blah. (laughs) You know, it's just like, there's so much douchebaggery out there. And I just really was like, I don't want to do the douchebag way of marketing. (laughs) And so can we just make it like funny and fun instead? And like being vulnerable, people really appreciate that I put all my, you know, rejections on Instagram and, and I just want to yeah, like, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You inspired <laughs> me to post about it. Yeah. It's like, I just want to be real. And maybe I, you know, my, I always joke that my ambition is to be a medium shot. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> if I wanted to be a big shot, like I would pretend it was easy and I have the secret and blah, 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 all the other manipulative things people do. And I would like smack yeah. talk all the other quote experts And, but it's like, I just want to be a medium shot and live my little life and have a good time. And I think that there's, there's enough out there to support me in that. And I trust that I bring enough value to the world. And I, but I also create the means for people to return the value to me that I put out there in the world, right? If you don't create the means, if I just did fuck off fund and I got paid $40 for it, and then I stop there and I don't have... Twitter where people can follow me and I don't have other things people can do to work with me. They don't have a way 
to return that value to me. Mm, yes, I hear it. To get, it's not reciprocal. Like you can't, yeah. they can't reflect it back to you. I think it's important when I when I see those rejection posts or when you kind of, you know, let us in behind the curtain and you talk about this in such a real way. It's a reminder too that you're never really done striving. I mean, if you want this life, well, any life really, but if you if you want this writer's life, if you want the artist's life, you're gonna be working all the time. You're going to be trying to push yourself and move to a different spot like all the time. There's no arrived and finished mm-hmm. uh, unless unless you want that one book or you want that one thing and then you're done and that's fine. But even thinking about the artists who you felt were really ahead of you in this whole process at the time, still worrying about their writing, still worrying about their next thing. That's just the nature of it. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important to enjoy the life. You know, like I talk about that that matrix of writing work where it's like work that is high pay and high appeal. Yeah, I'll mm. pop up there, you know, to that top right corner where it's like, like the time that I was in Tokyo and I got an email from my editor at the New York Times that they were doing an international shopping like section and I'm like, I am in Tokyo right now. Like I am <laughs> landing a story. This is happening. And I made it happen. And all I know about Tokyo, like I did not go to see so many of the sites. I know about denim in the Daikanyama neighborhood. And I wrote a story about it for the New York Times and it was so great. And it's like a dollar a word to talk to denim experts in Tokyo, like Hell yes, <laughs> right? But like those are, they can be few and far between. And then I go back to right. my ghostwriting, you know, which is like yeah. high pay, lower appeal. Um, and writing about, you know, interviewing artists for an art magazine, which is high appeal, low pay. And mm-hmm. you just cobble them together and make it work. Yeah. Let me ask a, a few questions as we start to get toward the end of our time. You kind of answered this, but what keeps you in your chair when you're ready to stop for the day or when you're just, it's not happening? What keeps you in your chair as a writer? I really tried to make a habit of not quitting little things where I'm like, I'm just not going to quit this day, right? Mm-hmm. Or learning to unquit very quickly. So when I'm working out, it's like I'll stop and like collapse on the floor when I'm doing push-ups or whatever, and then I pop back up. So it's recognizing that like this is something that's really important to me, and I'm going to finish out today because I want to finish out this entire lifestyle. Mm. So then you'll – if you really are having a hard time with some something you're working on, you know, organization or – and a paragraph is killing you or you're just not getting to the heart of what you want to say and it feels very gobbledygook, do you, will you push yourself? Will you like give yourself a minute to have another cup of coffee and then go back? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I, tr- I, I try to recognize when I am banging my head against the wall and take a different mm-hmm. tact, right? So it might be, okay, I'm going to read this out loud or I'm going to put this in Scrivener and use the linguistic focus to show me like all the nouns and all the verbs to see like, are my verbs strong enough? Like what isn't working? Or Mm -hmm. phone a friend, you know, something like that. So I think that that's really important. Mm -hmm. And in terms of memoir, do you have some favorites? Yes. I absolutely love Frank McCourt's Angela's Ashes, which I listened to on audiobook, which I highly recommend because his adorable accent is on there. Um, (laughs) I loved Crying in H Mart as someone who likes to cook and as someone who – I spent like a month in South Korea by Michelle Zahner. Like I was reading it and I was like, all right, that's it. And I like had to go like make some kimchi and an egg and sesame seeds <laughs> over rice because it's like so much food porn. It was so good. And I really like Night by Eli Weissel. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. And so we've talked so much about what you think writers miss, you know, or what they need to incorporate into their life. Is there a piece of advice that you'd like to share? And, And I know like this, this particular conversation has been so full of advice and inspiration. Is there, is there something you'd like to leave listeners with to think about that that would be encouraging? I think really considering yourself rather than like a single kind of flower that's trying to bloom, picturing this entire field of flowers and that you are a part of this and that anyone else's success is also your success and reading someone's work and loving it is as beautiful as creating a work that someone else loves. And when you truly feel like a part of this community and this tradition, you can see that like Some people are up and some people are feeling low and some days you'll be up and some days you'll be low. And that is more of a natural rhythm and a part of an overall scene rather than, you know, just your individual experience feeling like all encompassing. And if your work is not going well, then like things are not good. And that by incorporating yourself into a community, you can really be sustained. And so I really Mm -hmm. recommend that. I have uh, my meditation and free writing uh, group called a very important meeting. And that's been fantastic for me during the quarantine. You might have a local group or a Facebook group, just anything where you can see that you are truly among so many people who together we are loving this tradition and this art form. And I think that really helps you shift toward living the lifestyle rather than where's my next byline? Where's my next paycheck? Mm -hmm oh my gosh, I'm turning 40. I haven't finished my novel. Um, And that has been really, truly a game-changing factor for me. You know, I I love what you just said about the field of flowers, et cetera. Like that whole thing, I just was soaking it up. I thought that was really inspiring. And and also about the community, I want to add that I feel the same way prior to the pandemic, I was hardly on the writer groups, you know, on Facebook. I was really not communicating that way ever since I finished my master's and, you know, these little programs where you and I both studied actually at University of Washington. I just wasn't really connected and I thought I was in it alone. But during 2020 and a little bit in 2019, I began to really reach out and it's been a boon. It's been a whole new level of feeling. I'm part of something and encouraged. I've had I've gotten to read so many beautiful books and I've been championed by other writers and it's just, I highly encourage it. We're not in it alone and it does feel better when we're together. So yeah, I second what you say. Paulette, where can people find you? Where would you like them to connect with you? So I am on Twitter at Paulette Perhatch, Instagram Paulette J Perhatch, long story. Um, my website is, <laughs> is pauletteperhatch.com and I blog about writing at Welcome to the Writer's Life. And there I also offer a free year of daily writing prompts. Thank you so much for being my guest. And I, I hope that people feel as encouraged listening to, to all you have to share as, as much as I did. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ernie. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok.
If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here.